Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. I'm Pete. Summer has almost arrived here in New Zealand. Our evenings are drawing out, the sun has got some extra warmth and the flowers and the trees are starting to bloom. Although I'm enjoying the warm weather, I'm very conscious that autumn has arrived for many of my friends in the north and that winter isn't far behind. And I'm very aware that winter can present a number of challenges for restroom operators. And the further north or south that you go, the more you encounter very cold temperatures that make pumping portable toilets very challenging indeed. That's the focus of this week's show, which I'm calling Winterization. Before we get into that, I'd like to tell you about a few changes that I've made to the podcast behind the scenes. Last week, I transferred Get Flush to a new hosting platform with Captivate FM. The transfer went really well and it happened really quickly. In fact, I spent longer deciding on the new colour scheme for the homepage than I did making the change. The main reason for moving to Captivate is that their platform is better able to help me improve things for you, the listener. And if you visit our homepage, getflushed.online, you'll see a few features that weren't available on our old player. These include a search bar that allows you to find specific content, hot links to the Get Flushed channels on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube, a web form that allows you to sign up to receive Get Flush news and information by email, and interactive buttons that take you directly to our support programs on Patreon, PayPal, and Buy Me a Coffee. Hosting with Captivate will also allow me to add written transcripts to every episode and to create or share groups of episodes which are known as collections. Now that's a really useful feature because it will allow me to group episodes with a similar theme. You'll see that if you visit the first collection, which brings together all the portable restroom operators that have appeared on the show so far. That's Ryan at Acadian Sanitation, Anthony and Stefan at Prestige Loos, Guy at Hiralu, David and Tannis at J-Bar, and Roy at Texan. I've pinned a link to that collection at the top of the Get Flush page on Facebook and in the notes for today's show. I'll share more collections as time goes by, including the episodes that look at standard operating procedures and best practice, the episodes with the manufacturers and suppliers I've met, and those where I talked about software and met providers like John from Service Corps and Vernon from Pro Solutions. Before I get into the rest of today's show, I'd like to give a workplace shout out to Apollo Butler at Caribbean Waste Management in the Bahamas, Kim and Chad at Wilkinson Portables in Placerville, California, Curtis Ingalls at Crapper King, who let me know he'd voted for Get Flushed in the NZ Podcast Awards, Jordan Mamrek and the team at Waste Now Restrooms in Louisville, Kentucky, and I also have to thank Bill LaPala at Tula Toilet in Michigan and Jeff Pedersen at Jeff's Restrooms in Minnesota, who helped me with information for today's show. Now, I've been thinking about this episode for a long time because I had first-hand experience of working in the cold when I supplied and serviced toilets and showers on the set of the live-action movie Mulan here in New Zealand three or four years ago. The movie was filmed in a valley near Amaramar in the Mackenzie Basin here on the South Island. It's an alpine valley set between snow-capped mountains, and if you've seen the movie, you'll know exactly where I mean. In summer, it can be the hottest place in New Zealand, but in winter, it's usually one of the coldest, and of course, Mulan was shot over winter. While most days were usually bright and sunny, the nighttime temperature dropped well below freezing. That meant our portable toilets froze, the water in the hand basins froze, and the gas boilers used for hot water in the restroom trailers would freeze too. The vacuum truck would freeze if it was parked out overnight, and that would take several hours in the sun before it thawed out next day. Although we didn't know too much about winterization when filming began, we found quite a few useful resources online, we picked a few brains, and we tried a number of different methods and techniques. Not all of them worked, and some of them caused more problems than enough. 
but I thought I'd use that experience to talk through some of the issues caused by the cold and look at the options that PROs can use to protect and maintain their fleet. Now, across the portable toilet industry, the arrival of winter is often marked by a flurry of posts on social media, with PROs asking for tips and advice for the most efficient and effective methods and techniques to stop their pots from freezing. And I'll stress here that everything is a balance between those two dimensions. Efficiency is about getting the job done in a cost-effective way with as little extra work as possible, and effectiveness means choosing an approach that actually works and stops your toilets and equipment from freezing at the lowest temperature you encounter. And that's important because if it doesn't work, you're just adding cost. Winterization is very much about finding the balance between those two. And of course, everything is relative. If you typically only get one or two nights a season where the temperature drops below freezing, I probably wouldn't take any special measures at all. But if you live and work in a region where the nighttime temperature drops well below freezing for days and weeks on end, you may need to change your entire routine. Before I go any further, I have to explain that temperature here is measured in Celsius or centigrade. But I do appreciate that many of the listeners in North America still use Fahrenheit. I'll make this simple for myself more than anything else. The boiling point of water is 100 degrees C, which is 212 Fahrenheit. When I talk about freezing point, I mean the temperature at which water freezes, which is 0 degrees centigrade and 32 degrees Fahrenheit. In a portable toilet, 0 degrees is the point that solids above the waterline will start to freeze and go crusty. You can still remove waste with a suction hose and a pump because you can break the surface ice with the wand and most of the waste will still be in liquid form. When the temperature drops below minus 4 centigrade or 25 Fahrenheit, the wastewater in the tank will turn to a lumpy slush. It will still pump because it's not completely solid, but you'll probably really have to work the wand. The coldest temperature that I've experienced in New Zealand is minus 12 centigrade, which is 10 degrees Fahrenheit. That was cold enough to go ice skating on the river and absolutely everything in the toilet tank was definitely frozen by then. The coldest temperature ever recorded here was minus 21C or minus 5.8 Fahrenheit. And that was back in 1995, funnily enough, not far from where they filmed Mulan. I'm aware that some pros in some parts of the world work in much colder temperatures than that. So how do they do it? How do they keep their toilets, washstands and restroom trailers from freezing? And how do they prevent the cold from damaging equipment like water tanks, vacuum pumps and suction hoses? Let's find out. We all know that most portable toilet cabins are made from polyethylene plastic. Some models like the Satellite Vantage and the Merlin Ultra have double skinned walls, but most cabins are single skinned and most of the plastic is just a few millimetres thick. That means they're not insulated so they offer very little immediate protection from the cold. The biggest issue caused by extreme cold is that the waste and water in the tank will freeze. From a user's point of view that's not the end of the world. In an open tank toilet, you'll still be able to use the toilet. It just won't look very nice if you lift the lid and look down into the tank. In flushing toilets, which can be either fresh water or recirculating, frozen water in the pumps and pipes will prevent the toilet from being flushed. If the toilet bowl has a flap, your number twos usually will need to be flushed to rinse them down into the tank. And obviously you can't do that if the pump for the flusher is frozen. One major concern when flushing toilets freeze is that ice can cause damage to the plumbing. You see, when water freezes and turns to ice, it expands. In a confined space like a pump or a pipe, that expansion can create enough pressure to rupture pipework or split the housing on the pump. And if that happens, any waste in the tank will leak out onto the ground when the ice thaws. 
And in flushing units with a foot pump, the pump and pipework is usually mounted beneath the base in the void immediately above the ground. That makes the pump more vulnerable to the cold, especially at dawn when the air temperature is usually the lowest and any latent heat loss is most profound. For sanitation drivers, extreme cold weather makes it difficult to pump waste from a toilet. Slushy ice isn't too bad because you can break it up with a wand, but waste that's frozen solid is absolutely impossible to remove with a vacuum pump unless you melt it first. Cold weather can have an equally damaging effect on shower or restroom trailers fitted with externally mounted water heaters. Gas caliphons usually heat the water in coils of thin walled copper pipe, and as we found out at Mulan, those coils are especially vulnerable to cold. I've seen several units ruined because they weren't drained overnight, when the temperature dropped to just below freezing. If you drain the heaters, it's not so much of an issue, but that adds an extra layer of complexity that you probably wouldn't want to trust to the customer. A better solution would be to mount the heater inside the unit, but you'd need to take advice from a professional plumber or gas fitter before you did that. Extreme cold can also affect water tanks, vacuum pumps, hoses and pipes on your service truck. If they're not drained and the truck is parked outside, any water will freeze. And again, tanks, valves, pumps and pipes are vulnerable to internal pressure as water expands and turns into ice. And if everything is frozen, you literally can't start work until things are thawed out, which means you'll lose valuable work time. On Mulan, we had several late starts because the truck was left outside overnight instead of in the shed. And when the sun sets at 4pm or earlier, you really can't afford to lose half your daylight hours waiting for the thaw. So let's look at some of the ways you can winterize portable restrooms and equipment. There are two main approaches. The first is prevention, which is the steps you can take to prevent equipment from freezing in the first place. And the second is dosing, which is the use of additives to prevent ice by lowering the temperature that the water you use starts to freeze. This isn't a case of one or the other. All of these suggestions can work in concert, side by side. Yikes, I just received a bad review on Google. I can't believe it. I think I run a good business. I respond to reviews as fast as I can to see if I can fix the issue, but the reviews don't always come through until it's too late. I can't be with all of my customers 24 seven. What can I do to prevent this issue from happening next time? Hey man, it's gonna be okay. Who are you? Who am I? I'm you from the future and I have to tell you about AirVote. What's AirVote? Just place these QR smileys anywhere throughout your business with questions to ask your customers. Your customers can then respond directly by leaving a comment that goes straight to your phone or computer. And then, when they're satisfied with your service, they have the option to leave a positive review in Google. AirVote keeps you connected with your customers 24-7, the absolute best way to prevent negative reviews in Google. Perhaps the easiest and most obvious step you can take is to position your toilets away from the cold, ideally indoors. Even a big drafty warehouse or an open barn will offer some protection against the cold. Obviously that's not always possible, especially on construction sites or civil projects where the portable toilet is often the first structure on site. But if it is possible, I'd always try to do that first, even if it meant building a temporary cover like a wooden shed. Failing that, I try to use some form of insulation on the toilet walls to protect the tank from the cold as much as possible. I've seen some blogs and posts online that mention wind chill. That occurs where air at a lower temperature draws heat from any warmer object it meets. It usually refers to the effect of the wind on the human body, 
what happens is that your body loses heat faster than it's produced. You'll feel that if you go for a swim outdoors on a cool windy day and then walk back up the beach for your towel. A number of articles online suggest moving the toilet cabins out of the wind to prevent them from freezing. That sort of makes sense, but I don't think wind chill is too much to worry about with a plastic toilet cabin. Yes, cold air may cool the plastic walls and that in turn may lead to the loss of residual heat from the water and waste in the tank, which in turn will lead to freezing. But I don't know if shielding the unit from the wind will prevent freezing per se. If the temperature's cold enough to freeze, it's cold enough to freeze. That said, I don't think placing the toilet in the lee of a building or wall will do any harm whatsoever. In fact, it's probably a good idea to find shelter because that reduces the chance of the toilet being blown over in the wind. Now, if you do tuck your toilet out of the wind, it's important to find a spot that still catches the sun. Portable toilet cabins warm up really quickly and a frozen toilet that's in the sun will thaw out more rapidly than one that's in the shade. If you can't put the toilet indoors, you could get more protection against frostbite insulating the cabin. I know of one old boy who's got an ex-rental toilet in his paddock. He's fixed sheets of plywood to three sides of his cabin to stop freezing in winter. When asked about that, he said it was reasonably effective. Again, I'm in two minds. First off, it's not really a look you'd want to see in public. And secondly, it's a bit like wind chill. If it's cold enough to freeze, it's cold enough to freeze. That said, the tank in a plastic portable toilet cabin is typically pressed hard against the walls, which as I've said are quite thin. So in theory, anything you can do to reduce the loss of heat through those walls will help. I don't even think you'd need to go full height, just a bit higher than the top of the tank. Obviously, you can't really cover the door, but most cabin doors are double skinned and they don't come into direct contact with the toilet tank, so it's less of an issue. You might also want to think about putting some form of insulation underneath the toilet too. Ideally something waterproof, perhaps a sheet of dense PVA foam sandwiched between layers of ply or some old carpet. If you operate restroom trailers in a region with harsh winters, the best approach is to have the trailers winterized when they're made. Insulate the floor and the walls, have the pipes wrapped or lagged and fit a heater. The unit will cost more to build, but it's much easier to make those changes in production than it is to retrofit them later on. And because the unit will be fit for use all year long, you'll have a much bigger window for hire. The last option I want to mention are heaters. Portable toilet cabins have a relatively small volume, typically two cubic meters or less. And when the door is shut, that space is fully enclosed except for the vents. A small electric heater set on low could produce enough heat to keep the frost at bay, especially if it's set down on the floor so that the heat rises. Obviously, there are a number of safety factors that you'd need to consider if you used a heater. You'd need a power supply with a circuit breaker, you'd have to run the cable in a safe way to prevent anyone tripping over the heater or flex, and you'd need to switch the electricity off before you wash the cabin and replenish the tank. Some operators might prefer to leave that to the client, which is perfectly understandable, but plastic can scorch and it certainly burns fiercely, so I'd be having a very sensible conversation with my customer if they told me they wanted to use a heater. While these preventative measures can be used to protect toilets against the cold, dosing is used to lower the freezing point of any water and waste in the tank. The most common methods for dosing are salt, methanol or salt and methanol combined. I'll look at each of those in turn, starting with salt, sodium chloride, chemical compound NaCl. If you dissolve half a pound of salt in one gallon of water, the brine you make will not freeze until the temperature drops to 26 Fahrenheit or minus 3 centigrade. In metric terms, that's 230 grams of salt in every litre of water. 
If you scale that up, a toilet prime with six gallons of water will need three pounds of salt to stop it freezing. On Mulan, we used swimming pool salt because back then it was cheap, it dissolved quickly and it was readily available from the local hardware store. But you could use water softener salt, rock salt, road salt and pretty much any other bulk salt you can find. Now I know that at Home Depot in the States at the moment, a £40 bag of water softener salt costs $7.50. Swimming pool salt is a little more expensive at $9 a bag, but it's essentially the same stuff and I'm sure you'll get an even better price if you buy in bulk and shop around. The easiest and most effective way to use salt is to make a brine by dissolving the salt in water. When you visit the site to service your toilets, you simply pour in the brine instead of using fresh water when you prepare the toilets for use. You still use blue and you can actually mix the blue in with the brine before you leave the yard. Making brine means that you don't have to measure out salt at every toilet and it helps to make sure that the salt is fully dissolved. When it came to mixing the perfect solution, we went through a process of trial and error. We started with 20 kilograms of salt in 800 litres of water or 40 pounds in just over 200 gallons. That wasn't enough, so we doubled the dose and then we doubled it again. Eventually, we were putting 80 kilograms of salt in 800 litres of water to make a 10% solution. And that seemed to stop the toilets freezing on all but the coldest nights. When we first deployed at Mulan, we tried putting a couple of scoops of salt into the toilet tanks before we refilled them with water. The main problems that we encountered with that were the driver wasn't consistent. He forgot to add the salt or he added too much or he didn't use enough. The salt spilled absolutely everywhere, usually in the cab because that's where the driver put the bag to stop it getting wet. Sometimes the salt didn't dissolve or the driver didn't wait long enough to make sure that it had, so it didn't do its job. And on other times, the fresh water we carried on the truck was frozen, so we couldn't fill the toilets anyway. To get around all of that, we set up a 1,000 litre IBC container, the sort that's typically used to transport bulk liquids or set up as a water butt on ranches and farms. We'd add the salt and the blue and mix it in the yard and we'd carry that on the truck. Obviously, if you do that, it's really important to make sure that the temporary tank is tied down tightly on the truck and that you find and use a screw-on lid. Carrying brine in a separate tank does offer some benefits. Primarily, it means that you don't contaminate the fresh water on your truck. And that's great because you don't want to wash your toilets with salt brine. It leaves a chalky residue when it dries. Using an IBC container meant that we could fill buckets by gravity with just a hose, so it was a pretty low-tech option and it didn't require any extra plumbing on the truck. And it also meant we could take the tank off the truck when the weather improved. If you do use salt brine, you need to bear in mind that salt is extremely corrosive to steel. It will rust your steel and it will oxidise on aluminium, it will create pitting and it could weaken your valves and your pipes. Rinsing your pump and wastewater tank every day will help reduce damage and you could use a strong cleaner like Scalex to help remove any residue. If you're buying a new tank, you could look at getting the inside coated before you use it. Now salt works up to a point, but there are some temperatures where even salt brine will freeze. Some people may say that you can get around that by mixing a stronger, more concentrated brine simply by adding more salt. And that's true up to a point. With sodium salt, once you get to two pounds of salt per gallon of water, the brine reaches maximum density. That's called the eutetic point. Beyond that, you can keep adding salt, but it won't dissolve. And at temperatures lower than minus three, you need to find a different approach. There are two alternatives to sodium salt that have a slightly lower freezing point. That's magnesium chloride, MgCl2, and calcium chloride, CaCl2. Both of those can be bought as crystals or flakes or in a solution up to 30%.
and they're commonly used as an additive in antifreeze and de-icers. They both melt snow and ice down to minus 32 centigrade or minus 25 Fahrenheit, which means they could be used in restrooms. I found a lot of articles online that compare the properties of sodium, magnesium and calcium chlorides. There's one article published by Peter Chemicals that states that calcium chloride is less corrosive and it works in greater dilution than magnesium chloride. In practical terms, that means that two parts of calcium chloride will do more work in less time than three parts of magnesium chloride. That article also suggests that magnesium chloride is more corrosive to concrete, more toxic to plant life and more damaging to metals than both calcium chloride and common salt. If you want to read that report, I'll put a link in the notes for today's show. The next additive that I want to consider for use in extremely cold conditions is methanol, also known as methyl alcohol or methyl hydrate. Methanol is the simplest form of alcohol. Its chemical formula is CH3OH, although that's often abbreviated to MEOH. Methanol is a light, volatile, colourless, flammable liquid with a distinctive alcoholic odour similar to that of ethanol, which is the main alcohol used in spirits like vodka and gin. It's reasonably abundant because more than 20 million tonnes are produced annually. In New Zealand, it's produced by Methanex and largely distributed by a number of petrochemical suppliers. Prices around the world will vary and in the current market, anything could happen, although I'm told that today's price for bulk methanol in the United States is just under $3 a gallon. When it's used to prevent freezing, 6.5 ounces of methanol per gallon of water will protect tanks down to 28 degrees Fahrenheit. You can add more methanol for protection, but you can only go up to a concentration of 33%. That's approximately 42 ounces per gallon. That will protect against freezing down to minus 9 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, the good news is that methanol isn't corrosive when it comes into contact with aluminium or steel. However, it is classed as a poison. You should avoid contact with the skin and breathing in vapours, and it does become extremely flammable if it's mixed in a concentration higher than 33%. In conditions of extreme cold, it's possible to mix methanol in with your salt brine to lower the freezing point even further. I won't get into the details now, but Wallex have produced a handy chart that shows the effectiveness of salt, methanol and a salt-methanol combined mix at different concentrations. I've never mixed the two, but the chart suggests it's possible to prevent freezing down to minus 40 degrees, which incidentally is the same temperature in both Celsius and Fahrenheit. Again, I'll put a link to that chart in the notes for today's show. If you do use methanol, you need to check your local laws and regulations. In New Zealand, you'd need a dangerous goods license and you'd need to comply with a dangerous goods rule if you transport it by road. And you must provide your staff with correct PPE. That's especially important with methanol, especially if your drivers find themselves with wet hands and feet. In temperate conditions, that's not a great concern. But in cold weather, methanol can induce serious tissue damage. Long before I sat down to record this episode, I also spoke to Daryl Veal, an environmental engineer, about the effects of methanol on the environment. You may remember Daryl from season one. He's in charge of the wastewater treatment team in Christchurch. When I asked Daryl about methanol, he said that while he would prefer it not to enter the wastewater system, the reality was that it would be so diluted it was unlikely to present any problems. He also said that it absolutely must not enter the stormwater network. And based on that, I would say that if you do use methanol, please check with your treatment plant before you dump it. The next method of winterizing toilets I want to mention is the use of a split tank or removable tank. Several manufacturers produce a split tank for winter use, and the P-Pod features a removable tank that can be swapped out when it's full. 
Now, I've never used either of these, but I understand the theory. You remove the tank and take it back to the yard, and because you don't need to pump it on site, it doesn't matter if it's frozen. My main concern with these options is that a full tank will be quite heavy and very cumbersome for one driver to lift. Of course, there are always ways around that, and I'd love to hear from anyone who's used a split tank or swapped the tanks on a peapod to find out how well they work. Before I close, I do want to mention hand wash stations. These use fresh water, so I'm not sure that salt brine is an option, and I don't think that anyone would recommend washing your hands with methanol. Perhaps the first step to avoid freezing is to put the hand basins out of the cold inside a building or shed. That would certainly help. A number of manufacturers do produce hand basins that have an option to add an electric water heater. Obviously, they'll need to be connected to a power supply, but they claim to prevent freezing in temperatures down as low as 10 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 12 Celsius. Another option is to use a non-toxic antifreeze such as propylene glycol, which, believe it or not, is apparently safe to consume. Now, I'd absolutely stress here that automotive antifreeze is highly toxic and should never be swallowed or ingested. But propylene glycol is used as a food additive to keep ingredients moist, so you'd presume that it was non-toxic on skin. When I researched this episode, I also saw that Satellite Industries were offering a non-toxic freshwater antifreeze called EasyFlow. It was listed on their website and they shared it in a couple of Facebook posts. When I went to double check before I started recording, that page had been taken down, so I don't know if it's commercially available. I think I'd replace sinks with sanitizer stands before I used any additives to stop water from freezing. There is a risk of tissue damage when skin is exposed to very cold water. In simple terms, it's called ice burn, but it can lead to really serious long-term harm. I'd love to hear from Satellite or anyone else who's used EasyFlow to help us understand that product. I know operators that have estimated the cost of winterisation at $7 per toilet per service, so it's a considerable cost over the course of a season. I would advise any restroom operator who's winterising their equipment to make sure that they on-charge the cost of these procedures to their clients. They all involve extra work and they will cause extra wear and damage to your equipment. It's only fair that those costs are passed on to consumers. Okay, that's been a really good discussion and it's one that I'm happy to come back to if listeners have more experience or better ideas than I've shared. Just message me through social media or email pete at getflush.online. I'm always happy to record with guests. Please make sure that you visit the new website, getflush.online, and please vote for Get Flushed in the New Zealand Podcast Awards. Voting is open until the end of the month and I'll make sure there is a link at the top of the notes for today's episode. Thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed. 